Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire de You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. It's going to be sick. It is Friday evening. That was Tony Marinero's intro, but I am Matt O'Han, the Hebrew Hammer, and welcome to the Sick Podcast. We got a couple of housekeeping things that I got to take care of before we get to our guest of the evening. Uh, first things first, big, big shout out to uh, Dollar Desormos' own Devin Levi, uh, or Hebrew Foundation School's own Devin Levi. That's right. I got something in common with an NHL goaltender, and that is that we are from the same hometown, and we went to the same elementary school. And right now, if you want to check it out on Twitter, uh, I have a poll up on Twitter of what is more impressive, five touchdowns in a 15-minute recess or winning. In your first NHL start. That's right. Devin Levi uh, with a 32 save win in Buffalo's 3-2 overtime victory against the New York Rangers. Uh, just a, a great game to watch. And it's great to see a Montrealer, uh, no less another Hebrew hammer, uh, bringing some glory to our city. All right. Another thing that I got to do is uh, this happened to me last night. I was out for dinner out in Rosemont. A friend of mine then suggests that we stop by a bakery in the Mile End. That bakery is known as Cheskis for those who know it. And, uh, you know, I do my usual order. And then as I step outside, uh, a Hasidic uh, Jew stops me and he goes, hey, uh, are you are you Matt O'Hayan? And I'm going, Oh man, where do I know this guy from? Uh, I know a lot of people, but you know, uh, I can't keep track. And he goes, uh, I go, yeah. He's like, oh, I watch you on the sick podcast. Uh, oh, no way. Oh my God. What's your name? Who are you? And he goes, oh, I'm the son-in-law of Mr. Hetsky. I go, no way. So uh, if you're listening, uh, well, you'll be listening tomorrow on Saturday after uh, Shabbat, but uh, happy you are a part of the sick army as uh, we just kept, keep getting bigger and bigger. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's do this thing. Let's welcome him in. Uh, the Canadians, since we last spoke, have uh, totaled uh, t- uh, two, lo- two wins and two losses. So uh, let's talk to him again. Why not? Mr. Stu Callen of the Montreal Gazette. Stu, how are you? I'm doing well. 
I'm uh, I'm not bad. I'm not bad, especially uh, getting recognized on the streets of the Mile <laughs> End, where uh, not exactly streets that I roam around too often. So uh, that was pretty cool. Has that ever happened to you, where uh, you know people just come up to you all the time now and just go, "Hey, are you are you, are you Stu Cowan from the Gazette?" It happens once in a while. I've had people ask me if I was Mark Messier a couple of times too, which is kind of funny, but uh, it happens not that often, but it happens once in a while. All right. All right. Uh, And just another note from that Sabres game, uh, each Buffalo Sabre, they have their, they get to pick their own goal song. And tonight I learned that Jeff Skinner, who scored the game winning goal for the Buffalo Sabres, his goal song, you would never believe this is I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. So uh, that was also that was also really fun to learn. Uh, Stu, okay, wait. That's so, a great idea. That's a great idea. Is, I, I, was, I, I was fantastic. I think it's great, and I was laughing when he scored, and I heard the song start playing. Uh, what what would be uh, just off the top of your head? What would be your uh, goal song if you got to pick? Oh man, uh, that's a good one. It'd be something from the Stones, I guess. Um, can't think off the top. of if it's from the stones, you got to give yeah. me, can't you hear me knocking? That's a, no, that's my all time yeah. favorite. Song. I like, I like honky tonk woman's one of my favorite song songs. So maybe that would be it. <laughs> well, there you go. That's not a bad choice. So, yeah. okay. So let's, uh, let's, before we uh, talk about news and notes around the NHL, let's, let's talk Montreal Canadians because uh, the last time we spoke, the Canadians were entering a game, uh, probably the, uh, well, it didn't turn out to be the biggest game of the tank battle, uh, so it seems, for the Canadians. But they ended up beating the Columbus Blue Jackets 8-2. to uh, You know, thankfully, it wasn't the other way around in Columbus because uh, to spare your no. ears from the uh, Yeah, from I've the been cannon. there a few times, yeah. Um, then, I mean, I guess we're – I feel like everyone was kind of expecting a letdown against Buffalo. But, again, this team, it's it's been the story all year. Just the effort level just does – it just does not drop. Well, last night's game of Explorer is one of the very few games this year where the effort level wasn't there. Like, very few. Like, a handful of times. And Marty St. Louis, one of the things I really like about Marty is he's very honest. And as he said, you know, here you have a team that's fighting to get the wild card spot against a team who the game before was officially eliminated from the playoffs. And it's just natural human instinct that one team's going to probably be more motivated in that situation than the other team. You know, can't see the finish line now. There's six games left. Um, it's just human instinct. Guys probably don't want to get hurt right now, you know, going into their summer or, or whatnot. But uh, I think they'll bounce back again the next game. It's It's – as I said, there's only a handful of times this season that the Canadians haven't competed. And you can say that about every single team in the NHL. Every team, like even the Boston Bruins, as good as they are, I'm sure there's three or four games this season where they just haven't been there and haven't really competed. Uh, it happens. And um, as I said, it hasn't happened very often with this Canadians team. Last night's game was one of those rare occasions. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, St. Louis can get the guys fired up again. Uh, for tomorrow night's game with Carolina, it's going to be a tough game. You got Cutkin Yemi coming back. The last time they played here, he scored that uh, winning goal in the shootout. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it'll, it'll be a challenge for Ronnie. It'll be a challenge for any coach when your team's gone through everything this team has gone through this year with injuries and whatnot. But there's still a lot of guys on the Canes who are trying to prove themselves that they belong in the NHL, that they deserve a spot for next year, that they at least deserve another look at training camp. So, um, as I said, I'd be surprised to see back-to-back games where their their compete level isn't uh, isn't right at the top. Sick Podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Energy Transportation Group is a full-leading uh 
logistics service providers serving all of North America, driven to be different. I knew I forgot to do something off the top of the show. I got too excited. Uh, Brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bite a TV Beer offers quality microbrewery beers with uh, premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bite a TV Embrace your true nature. All right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that one against Florida, I feel like there was also some juice on the other side because, you know, you have a, your best player's father kind of, you know, he's playing like a, like minor league hockey dad, you know, just criticizing the team. And that's making more headlines than the actual team not performing. Um so, yeah, I mean, uh, Keith Kachuk just co- going out, for those who don't know, calling the Florida Panthers soft, and then his son, the best player on the team, gets uh, four points in the win. So, uh, I mean, you know, you got to think that just like also Florida was – they were ready to go for that one. I mean, and like you said, you know, they got they got a playoff spot on the line. And they were coming off a big win the night before. I watched a third period of that game when they were trailing the Leafs and they tied it up and they won it in overtime. So they were – you know, that was four huge points. Uh, for Florida, and you know they've won all four games against the Canadians. So if they get into the playoffs, big reason's going to be because they picked up eight points against the Canadians. Uh, and of course, as we know, uh, the Canadians hold Florida's first-round pick in next year's draft. Um, so it'll be interesting to follow the rest of the way. If you know if they don't get in the playoffs, Canes know that they're going to have two picks in the top sixteen. And last night was a chance for them to help themselves do that, uh, but they just didn't have it last night. Right, and um, but you know what though, it, it's. You know, if you take you just take a look at the odds. I mean, they really did themselves a big favor in at least in improving their draft choice uh, chances to get the first overall with that loss against Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge, huge swing. And you know, I've been seeing a lot on Twitter. You know, you want the higher pick no matter what. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, you don't want to. You don't want like. You don't want to have like seven and thirteen versus five to one or 14, whatever it may yeah, whatever, I mean, whatever I, the case may be. It's always a crapshoot too. I mean, I think we talked about last time I was on with the yeah. you know, Colorado Avalanche losing the draft lottery, being all upset, and then they got Kale McCarr at three or four or whatever it was they picked him. So, I mean, the draft is always a crapshoot. There's, there's no there's no such thing as a guarantee in the draft. Even Connor Bedard. I mean, Alexis Lafreniere a couple of years ago was supposed to be a generational type player, not maybe at the same level as uh, – as Connor Bedard, you know, he's struggling with, with mm. the Rangers, you know, Neil Yakupov, you go down, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I think Connor Bedard's going to be a really, really good hockey player. I'd be shocked if he's not. But that doesn't mean that if the Canes look at the number one pick, they won't get a really, really good player at number two, three, or four, wherever they end up. Well, that's the thing. And, and you know what? Uh, that's a huge thing. And I think the biggest sign of, you know, as much as – Canadians fans, I think that we're seeing now more and more fans embracing and understanding that this isn't just going to be a one-year thing just because there's new management. You're going to have a down year and then it's takeoff. Mm-hmm. I think they're realizing that more and more. And the best, you know, the best example of that is Kirby Doc, right? I mean, third yeah. overall pick gets completely given up on by his organization. Mm-hmm. The guy's 21 years old and now he's yeah. taking off. It just, it just, it takes some people way longer than others. And the NHL. I mean, they draft kids so young at 18 years old, it's easy to forget how, I mean, Slavkovsky just turned 19 yesterday. You know, it was his birthday. Right. Right. Kirby Doc's 21. It's easy to forget how young uh, these kids are. You know, I have a 22-year-old son, and a lot of the guys in the Canadians are the same age as him or younger. It's easy to forget that sometimes. And Marty St. Louis had the quote about Kirby Doc. He says, you don't give up on a 21-year-old. You know, it's too young. I mean, mm-hmm. Kotkaniemi, look at Kotkaniemi this season. I was looking at his stats this morning. He's doing... 
much better. He's winning like 52% of his faceoffs. There was a time where that was a big concern. It's gotten bigger and stronger, obviously, as time has moved on. The Carolina Hurricanes of that contract they gave him are, are banking on him continuing to develop under Rod Brindamore in the same way that the Canes are hoping young players will develop under Marty St. Louis. And they're banking on him becoming a bargain near the end of that contract that he signed. So, you know, I think Kakiyemi's 22 now. So it's easy to forget how young some of these guys are. And uh, that's I think, you know, that's where Kent Hughes has been good at picking up guys like a Kirby Doc, where he sees, you know, there's reasons he was a number three overall pick. He's a talented player. And, uh, you know, now you got a coach who can get it out of him. And it's just a fresh start. And I was talking about this the other night uh, with some of the other guys who covered the team. And Kirby, when he's interviewing him in scrums, he's, it's hard to tell if he was sort of shy or nervous or what it is. He's not comfortable doing interviews. And one of the guys said, and I think he was right, <clears throat> he's probably just so used to being bashed in Chicago yeah, that his guard's up right away when he's doing interviews with the media. But he's sort of relaxed more as the season's gone on. And I think part of that is that he's, you know, he came here, he was criticized in Chicago. He came here, he had to prove himself again. You know, the team gave up on him. And he's done a really good job of doing that. And Marty St. Louis, I think, has been a really good coach as he has been. You know, Cole Caulfield, a different player, right? After Dominic Ducharme got fired, it was like a, the new right. guy. It was like the Cole Caulfield that people remembered when he got drafted. So um, a whole big part of this Canadiens rebuild moving forward is just how Marty St. Louis can do that with the, with the young players. And, and and you know what? It, they're they're putting a lot of stock into uh, you know they're placing a lot of their chips into these uh, young players and not really like I like we we had an episode you know a couple weeks ago where one of our one of our guests Scott Matla he he said you know I I would eat a hat if the Canadians got. Uh, Pierre Luc Dubois this off season, and, and you know what? I think he's going to be his diet will be hat free. Uh, you know, come the off come the end of the off season because it's just you know I really think that the more we hear about this uh, about this front office, the more we see from them, it, it's there's just so many prospects in the pool that why would you go out and get a guy when you could just wait for one of your own to become that player that you're going to, that you're going to go out and get because the Canadians aren't ready to take on a pure Luke Dubois. So, I mean, I think it's just exciting times and, you know, we saw it last night. I mean, granted it wasn't exactly probably how he drew up his first NHL goal, but we saw it last night in Sean Farrell. I mean, guy scores his yeah. first goal on his first shot and he played almost 15 minutes in his, in his debut. I mean, what more could you ask for? Yeah, I mean, it's a shot that never should have gone in. <laughs> it was such a, <laughs> a brutal goal. But yeah, 15 minutes. The thing with Farrell is they list him at five foot nine. I find that hard to believe seeing him and standing okay. next to him. He looks smaller than Cole Caulfield. Uh, but it's a big jump from from university hockey to uh, to the NHL for anyone. I mean, Cole Caulfield struggled at first, and you can't blame all of that on Dominic Ducharme. His system obviously didn't help Cole Caulfield uh, as a young player coming in. But with Farrell, yeah, they're a lot of guys. You know, like Dubois, you know, I, I can't erased from my mind that video of that lat that shift in Columbus when he didn't want to play there anymore and he just went out and like it was like an old timers guy just out oh first. yeah he dogged it and I was like man that to me uh, that that's still that's a taste that I can't get out of my mouth and that's like a warning sign to me like do you really want a guy like that who's it's not you're giving up on your teammates never mind that you're upset with the team you're on the ice with your teammates and that to me that's a big warning red flag maybe I'm putting too much weight on that 
Um, you know, he hasn't had a great year this year in Winnipeg. He's been hurt also, but that whole Winnipeg team just seems dysfunctional right now. It's it's incredible how they've fallen off, and the coach calling out guys saying that if they think they're giving a hundred percent, they're kidding themselves. They're not even close. So there's warning things there. I mean, he is. He's. It seems like he wants to play in Montreal. Reading between the lines of the interviews, when he was at the draft last year in Montreal, and. Um, no, he's a big center that the Canes will probably have some interest in, but it'll be interesting moving forward what happens with him. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, what are you? What are you going to sign him for? How much are you going to give him? They still got to sign Cole Caulfield. Um, I'd be hesitant. I guess that's the word I'd use. I'd be hesitant about going after him right now. Yeah, it's just the stage that the team is at, and and I think it's a great segue into uh, the the article that you had out in the Gazette, which was uh, you you had you had a sit down with uh with jeff molson and you know he you know he gave some you gave some pretty good nuggets and uh i know that uh i will divulge the information to the to the masses that you sat down with him for two hours so uh sure there was a, it was, it was a little, oh it was it okay so, a little under an hour it was a little under an hour oh, okay so then uh yeah. then Agnello fed me wrong yeah. information it was so, a little under uh, an hour but, but an hour is still a lot of time yeah. to get some good information. well i was surprised it's going into it i didn't know Usually those things are about 20 minutes or so. And uh, right. when I went in, Chantal McAbee asked me, you know, how much time do you need or you want? And I said, well, usually, I usually try and get guys through 20 minutes. I realize these guys have busy schedules, but uh, Jeff Molson was very, he had another meeting, which is what had to end just about an hour later. But uh, yeah, it was close to an hour. So he was uh, he was willing to answer all the questions I, I had. I had a list of them and uh, went in there not really knowing um how it would go. I'd never had a one-on-one with Jeff Molson before, uh, but it went very well. And he answered questions, uh, you know, honestly, I thought, and uh, touched on a lot of different topics. And he used the word rebuild. At first, he sort of was hesitant to use it. And I asked him, I said, how come you guys are so afraid of just using the word rebuild? And he said, well, we're not. That's what it is. He said, we've had five rookie defensemen in the lineup for a lot of games this season. That's a rebuild. So it was sort of nice. Yeah, it is a rebuild. But I think the reason they were reluctant to use that word and you know Kent Hughes has been reluctant and Gorton's been reluctant I think they just weren't sure when they started this how the fans were going to like if they were going to accept it and as Molson said in the story in the column I wrote he says you know he's owned this team for 14 years and he says he's 52 years old he said in my lifetime I've never heard the Canadians ever use the word rebuild and he's using it. He's the first one. And as I wrote in the column, it's what this team needed. It's what this franchise needed at this point. It had to be rebuilt because they were just – Mark Bergeron was plugging holes here and plugging holes there, but there was real no – the vision was Carey Price is going to stand on his head and hopefully we win 2-1. That was basically what the plan was or the vision seemed to be so many times. So now they have a, a solid plan in place. There's some really smart people running the organization. <clears throat> Molson had another good quote. He's saying it with Mark Bergevin, nine years in that position is a long time. And it is. I mean, it's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of, you know, dealing with meeting two languages. And I think it got to Mark Bergevin at the end. I really think it did. Um, but it was time to move on. And, and Molson realized that. And I had asked them, you know, the first round of the playoffs are 2021 against the uh, Maple Leafs when they were being outshot 13 to two in overtime. And it looked like there's no hope in hell they were going to win. They only, they had been using only four defense. They couldn't get the puck out of their zone. Their defenseman looked exhausted. They won that game. They go on to the Stanley Cup final. And I said, you know, if, if Carey Price let in one of those goals and shots in overtime and you were eliminated in the first round would this rebuild have started then. And he paused for a second and went, well, possibly, but he said that didn't happen. And then, yeah. 
then they go on to win the, to get to the Stanley Cup final. And in the back of his mind, Molson, he realizes, he said the word, he used the word vulnerable. The Canes were vulnerable. Going in. I mean, they, without COVID, it wouldn't even got into the playoffs that year. He realized the team was vulnerable. But then you go to the Stanley Cup final, how do you start firing guys and blowing up a team that just went to the Stanley Cup final, even though big reason was Carey Price? So we sort of let things play out the way it was. But he knew in the back of his mind that this team needed change. Uh, and then everything fell apart, right? I mean, Carey Price got hurt. Shea Weber got hurt. They went on the terrible slide. The players stopped playing for Dominic Ducharme, and it just got really ugly. So, you know, for a first full season of a rebuild, uh, it's been an impressive start to the first year of the rebuild. It's not easy, though. It's not going to be easy moving forward. There's no guarantee this is going to work. But at least, uh, you know, Hughes and, and Gorton and St. Louis and Molson all seem to be on the same page. They have a plan. They're going to stick to it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, well, then there'll be another jam and another coach uh, coming in. You know, you know what, you know what I, you know what I find really encouraging about uh, all this right now, and especially this is a testament to Jeff Molson's character and, and basically how he handled Mark Bergevin's tenure. Because I feel like there were a couple times during his tenure where, you know fans were had enough you know and that really yeah. started that really started after pk suban got traded mm-hmm. but even before that i could remember there was the because he would never because mark bergevin would never refuse to fire michelle terrier and then you know he there were just like a lot of instances throughout nine years where for for someone who was there nine years there was a lot of hate towards that person uh from fans and Jeff Molson stuck by him. So I feel like because he because they committed to using the the R word of rebuild and and that's that's right from Jeff Jeff Molson's mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's going to give Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon and Martin St. Louis the time the proper time they need. You know, of of course he's going to keep well, an eye and say as, you know, as Molson said going on. Toronto's tried to rebuild New Jersey as other teams, Edmonton, Edmonton has two of the best players in the NHL. They're, you know, it's, it's tough in a 32, in a 32 team league with a salary cap, just making, I've said this before, just getting into the playoffs is an accomplishment. Old time Canadians fans who, oh, it's a Stanley cup or nothing. Forget how many of those Stanley cups were won when there's only six teams in the league and two rounds in the playoffs. It's tough to win the Stanley cup in, in today's yeah. NHL. Uh, and Jeff Molson realizes that. And, you know, Gorton was on, uh, sorry, Hughes was on a, uh, did a, a podcast I think with Pierre LeBrun recently, and he asked him how many, how far away do you think you are from being like a legitimate playoff team in the playoffs, contending every year? And he said probably three years. And to me, that's you know, new jams come in. There's always a talk about sort of a five-year plan. That's sort of the window that is expected. And I think that's what you need to look at here. They're off to a good start in this first year. Uh, if they get Connor Bedard in the draft sweepstakes, that'll speed up the process or should speed up the process. But again, as I said, there's no guarantees uh, from the draft. But it's something that had to be done because, you know, this team just was just going to keep spinning its wheels and maybe get in the playoffs, maybe not get in the playoffs. And right from day one, when Gorton and Hughes came in, they said their goal is to have a team that's in the playoffs basically every year. Sort of look what the Boston Bruins have been. I think the Bruins have missed yeah. the playoffs twice in the last 12 years or something like that. Um, so that's what, they're, that's what they're building towards. And I think, as I said, I think they're really on the right track. They're putting a high value on their younger prospects. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the, in, during the offseason. Joel Edmondson's been able to stay healthy. I don't see him. I'm sure they'd like to move him. They would have liked to move him before the trade deadline, but they couldn't trade him because he'd been hurt. But there'll be, there'll be changes <clears throat> heading into next season. Uh, as I said, they need to sign Cole Caulfield. Then we'll see 
what kind of money Hughes has left over. You know, Julian's coming off the books. Paul Byron's coming off the books, even though he's been on long-term injured reserve. He'll have some money to get some free agents if he wants at this point. But the thing I like about they're not they're not in a rush. And I asked Molson in the interview, I said, how long do you think fans will be patient with this rebuild? And he said, I can't really answer that question. And he says, I'm really thankful they've been so supportive so far, the support they've had for a team that's in 28th place. And as he said, that's not good enough. Is it one more year? Is it two more years? I figure next year fans will get a little antsy if they're in 28th place again. The year after that, I think the heat will get turned up more. And like if, if the year after that, if the third year from now that they're still there, I think that's when fans will start. You'll start hearing more boos at the Bell Center and more fans just getting upset. But the way things are going now, it's it's a pretty you know they're they're, they're going to almost improve by 20 points this season, which is pretty good pretty good improvement yeah uh will they improve by that many points again next season maybe probably not maybe not but it's hard to say right now because you don't know what's going to happen a lot of things can change you know who would have thought the new jersey new jersey devils would be as good as they are this season after watching them last season so we'll, we'll see the let it let it play out a little bit so in in the in the article um you know they say well he says you know he was he was getting criticized for not being present in the media for a period of time. I think it was before Jeff Gordon was hired. Yeah, it was from um, September from the start of that the 21-22 season. <clears throat> September until November when he uh fired Bridgeway and brought in uh Gordon. Yeah, so you know, it's just I kind of feel for the guy in that sense when you're getting criticized for something like that because, you know, what you know, I, I don't know. Like, what 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 are people expecting him to say in his? You know, the team's reeling. You know, the the, the fran- two franchise players are out of the lineup. Like, what did what did what was did he mention? Like, what did what did people want me to say? Or well, I think what part could of I was, could have said? Bergevin was in the last year of his contract, and there was all this talk: Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? I remember I asked Bergevin one of his news conferences in a perfect world: Do you want to come back? And he said, Yes, I do. So. I think then people were looking for Jeff Molson. Well, do you want him back? Do you not want him back? What's going on here? But yeah. Molson, as he said to me, he wanted to let things play out. I mean, he you know, he signed Dominic Ducharme to a three-year contract extension after the Stanley Cup final. He didn't give the extension to Bergevin. And, you know, in hindsight, it was a mistake given the three-year contract to, to um, Ducharme. But, again, the yeah. coach just got to the Stanley Cup final. First coach to take the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final since Jacques Demers. So it, it was sort of in a like I understand the dilemma he was in, and and but he as he said him and Bergman just weren't on the same page anymore type of thing and it had been nine years, so I think he was he he, he knew he was I, I said to him and, and it's in the column I said how how likely or how close were you to re-signing Bergman and he said not not really close like so he knew that nine years had been enough and he knew he was going to make a change but you know if things had gone really well and the canadians were surprisingly in a playoff spot and going strong then maybe bergevin might have got another year on his contract but it didn't work out that way so uh, in hindsight molson did the right decision not resigning him letting things play out and then you know uh, pulled the trigger on and getting rid of him but you gotta remember too Jeff Molson has been paying a lot of money to a lot of coaches not to coach the Canadians. He was paying, yeah, yeah. He's playing Claude Julien $5 million a year for like three years not to coach them. Now he's paying uh, Dominic Ducharme $1.3 million or whatever it is not to coach them for two more years. 
so um, you know, he didn't. I don't think he wanted to end up paying two GMs a lot of money at the same time. So uh, he let things play out, and the way things played out, he decided to make the move, and Jeff Gordon was brought in, and uh, we've seen what's happened since then. Well, I, th- I think that I think it's interesting because you know, like the whole that that was a big debate amongst you know just really anyone talking hockey. But I remember you know having this conversation with my friends, and like you know reading this article, I, th- I think it's it's. I know he didn't say it and you know, you can never really say things definitively and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but to me, it really reads like had they lost to Toronto, it was done. Just yeah. like contextualizing, contextualizing the season, you know, like all the moves that were made this, the off season before heading into the year, you know, he like Bergevin straight up said, we're, we're all in like, yeah. this is it, you know? Yeah. And if you're all in and it doesn't work in the first yeah. round, you know, you kind of put yourself in a corner. Yeah, I mean, when I put that question to him, you know, if they lost in that overtime in game six, and he said, well, that didn't happen. So it's hypothetical. Yeah. But but just from the way he answered the question, it was like, yeah, if they had been, if they had gotten in the first round, they shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. They were only there because of COVID. The same thing the year with the bubble playoffs, same thing happened. Uh, as he said, he knew we were vulnerable was the word he used. He knew he had yeah. a vulnerable team. So if they had lost in the first round, I don't think Bergevin would have been back. I think he would have eaten the last year of his contract. I don't think Ducharme would have got an extension on his. I think he would have been gone. I think there would have been a new coach, a new GM coming in then. Uh, would it have been Jeff Gordon and Marty St. Louis? Maybe it would have been Jeff Gordon. I don't think it would have been Marty St. Louis because when I asked him about hiring, you know, hiring a, a GM with no experience, um, he said, well, that was sort of part of the plan because they already had Jeff Gordon, who was already got 20 odd yeah. years, lots of experience. He rebuilt the Bruins. He rebuilt the Rangers. He's, you know, they've got a guy. So they didn't need a, a GM with experience. And in fact, it was probably better to have him without experience because coming in fresh and sort of learning from Gordon and whatnot, that's what they got in Kent Hughes. But then when I asked him, about, well, he also hired a coach with no experience and he started chuckling. So, well, that wasn't part of the plan, <laughs> but the, you know, when, when Gordon came in and Molson and him were on the same page and Gordon said, we're not going to change the coach this season. He said that. Right. But it got to the point, like they had to, they had no choice. You couldn't, the players had stopped playing for him. Uh, you know, Petrie was speaking for the locker room when he was criticizing the Charm system publicly. Uh, Guys weren't happy. You go back to the Stanley Cup run when uh, Ducharme was out with COVID and Ben Sherratt said, uh, we'd all skate through a wall for Luke Richardson. They never said that about Dominic Ducharme. Yeah. Uh, so it just got to the point. It was so bad. The guys didn't, you know, Josh Anderson say it's no fun coming to the rink anymore. They had to do something. And as I mentioned before, they're already paying a lot of coaches money not to coach. Marty St. Louis got no experience coming in. He was willing to just take take a contract until the end of the season. Uh, but Molson also said just the, 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 the boost, he's such a positive guy, St. Louis, the boost he gave the team almost immediately was what they needed at that point. And then they waited until the end of the season and they decided, yeah, okay, this is Marty St. Louis, the guy we want to have moving forward. But Marty St. Louis wasn't in the plans for this rebuild. He wasn't like, he wasn't the coach. which They said, we're going to get Marty St. Louis next. I think the words uh, most used was like a perfect storm. They needed somebody. They needed somebody quick. Marty was available. He's friends with Hughes. He's friends with Gordon. He knows them. Uh, they like him a lot. He was willing to come in. And uh, no, I remember at the news conference when St. Louis was named coach. 
and he talked about you know his mother used to always tell him you show them marty because he was you know he never drafted because he was too young yeah. too short even when he was a kid he was always told he was too short he was going to never make it and his mother always just told him you show them marty and then i remember his news conference uh he, he said it's a similar situation his mother sadly passed away but he said just give me the chance and i'll show you what you can do and he did yeah and it's and it's amazing it really is because you know, you just go through, you know, you, you painted a pretty good picture of the entire timeline of, of, of events. And then you just think if one thing goes differently, mm-hmm. you know, who, who again, like yeah. you said, like who knows who the coach of the Canadians is. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't even, you know, be able to begin to wager a guess because when they fired Dominic Ducharme, it kind of felt like, you know, because everyone knew that was coming. And I've did they they didn't announce did they announce that hiring at the same time as the firing? Yeah, it was sort of yeah, cause it was they had to do something quick and and you know midway through a season there's not most of the coaches are already working there's not a lot of yeah. choices. So I'm sure when they got together, Gordon and Hughes and Molson, I'm speculating here, but I'm sure they said, well, we got to make a coaching change. Like who can we get? And then. Yeah. Hughes or Gordon, so how about Marty St. Louis? You know, he's coaching kids. He, 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 even if nothing more, just to, to lighten up the locker room yeah. and walk in, and a guy who's going to walk into the room with instant credibility and instant respect. And I remember I read Pierre Gervais' book, The Former Canadian's Equipment Manager, and he said, you know, people say Dominic Ducharme lost the room. He never lost the room because he never had the room. He, I don't think he ever had the respect of the players in the locker room. I don't, Luke Richardson did. But Marty St. Louis walks into a room. These guys are the age. They grew up watching this guy. He's a Hall of Fame player. He walks into the room. It'd be like uh, almost like a Guy Lafleur walking into the room years before. You know, even if it didn't work out, he's got instant respect and instant people wake up and they listen. And, you know, everybody who I wasn't there, but everybody who was in the locker room, all the players and trainers, whatever, have talked about the speech that Marty gave when he first took over. It was like, wow. And, and I've said this. If Marty St. Louis wasn't a hockey coach, he could be a motivational speaker. He's just, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's really thoughtful. Uh, he has a way of firing guys up. You know, Sean Farrell, we were talking, gets called up for his first game and uh, from the NHL, and he tells him, just go play. Go play, have fun, don't yeah. worry about it. 20 games in or whatever, we'll start working, telling you what you're doing wrong or what you're not doing wrong. And I think that was one of the biggest problems with people talk about how the Canadians didn't develop players properly and they didn't. And I think the biggest reason for that is that they just put too much pressure on young guys coming in. Then you make one mistake, you're benched or you're back in Laval or you're gone. And, and you know, Harvey Panarin got called up last season. I think when the charm was coach, he played four games, scored one goal. He was gone back to Laval. And I think it's just guys were so afraid of making a mistake. And Victor Mete spoke about that after he left the Canes and went to Ottawa. You know, every time you get, the, you're, you're getting, going to the bench and you're like, scared you knew you're gonna get yelled yeah. at and it was like you're just you're, you're just stressed you're playing and when you're playing like that you're gonna make more mistakes and with the rebuilding team especially they can afford to let these young guys make mistakes right winning's not the the number one priority right now it's developing these players so moving forward we we're talking about how long is this going to take two or three years right now is the building block shot by allowing these young guys to just play free and make mistakes and learn and not worry about making mistakes and, and, and having more freedom within the system that they didn't have uh, with Ducharme. Ducharme was like, if the puck is here, you have to be there. Like, that's it. And yeah. With Marty, if the puck's here, you have like two or three options of where you can be. He wants his players to read and react. Um, but if you're going to have players read and react, they're going to make the wrong read once in a while. They're going to screw up. And they've 
taken the approach, the coaching staff, that that's okay. They'd rather have them make the wrong read than be afraid to make a read. And I think for so long with the Canadians' young prospects, they were playing afraid to make a mistake. Yeah, and you know what? That's like that that system of or concept, I should say, of hockey. Uh, it's really that that pays dividends, at least to me, just on the surface. I mean, what do I know? But mm-hmm. you know, to me, it it just it reads like you need a lot of continuity, which is probably a good reason why they're putting a lot of their a lot of their chips in their young players right now because mm-hmm. they're 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 saying like uh, they're like you've said like you've said on this podcast before you know they're they're learning they're growing together they're doing everything mm-hmm. together and yeah. you know if you're d- playing hockey that way you're going to eventually learn it's going to be first nature you're going to have the options available to you you're always or 99% of the time going to make the right going to make the right read because you're going to be faced with you know practically any situation when you're on the ice and to have it cinder blocked into you know this is what you have to do it's not exactly the best whereas you know you're given two three options you know you're just naturally making more reads kind of makes sense why all these players are developing very very well under Martin Saint-Louis well, I'm, we're talking about Sean Farrell coming up. I mean, for years, you'd get, so you got to get called up from Laval, an offensive-style player. He'd get six minutes of ice time playing on the fourth line yeah. for three or four games, and then he gets sent back to Laval. So injuries have played into it this season also, but Sean Farrell, his second game in the NHL, is playing on the number one line with Nick Suzuki, getting 15 minutes of ice time. It's you know, it's, it's night and day. I mean, and, and injuries have played a, a role in that. Yeah, of course. Popular. But... Marty St. Louis, like, as he said, play there, go play with Nick Suzuki. You know, like, show me what you can You're an offensive player. Put him with an offensive yeah. player and see what he can do. If you take an offensive player like Sean Farrell, you put him on the fourth line with two pluggers or, you know, the, the no knock at Michael Pozzetta. Michael Pozzetta is a, a, a solid fourth line player, but you put an offensive player with him, he's limited in what he's going to be able to do, right? So it's mm-hmm. uh, now you, you have a guy a chance to play with some off- good offensive players and see what he can do. And this, this whole season, is and next season will be a similar type of thing. Also, you're going to see them. They're just, you know, Slavkovsky. They didn't send them down. So I think it was a mistake with him. I think he should have gone down to Laval. I look at Justin Barron and the way he's been playing after starting the season in Laval. But they just they want they just want the guys to 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 learn the experience. And from being in the locker room, it's a fun locker room to be around. Like the guys like each other. You can tell they're 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 having fun in the room. It's a young group. They're all around the same age. Um, Carey Price and Shea Weber sucked up a lot of the oxygen in the room as veteran guys are sort of looking at them. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? It's a younger group. Yeah. Of, uh, they're almost like a group of brothers now. You know, Gallagher's like one of the older brothers that uh, the, the the clown brother type that they all joke with <laughs> and kid with. But it, it's a it's a to me it's a much tighter group. It's a closer group now, and a lot of that has to do with they're all around the same age group. They have things in common. They're uh, um, you know, we just see when after the game when we're going by the media room, you see some of the players, young guys, their girlfriends are coming out and they're together too. It's they've created this, uh, so it's like a family environment they're creating right now as they're moving forward with this team. And you know, we we talk so much about you know we've mentioned it a couple times of next season, and it, it's really interesting because you know, like clearly, some talent needs to be injected into the lineup and i know they got a lot of young guys but still you need vets on the team that's just the way it works um you know it's just with all the young talent that there is you know i think uh for for example you know like uh there's no better prime example than arbor jack i think he's very well proved that he is an nhl player yeah someone yeah 
is going to be an odd man out. That that's mm-hmm. just it's just a numbers game. Well, that's that's, that's why I think like I, on him. Yeah, so it's Joe how does Lennon's that evaluation in, happen? Yeah, I don't see them coming back with three vets. I don't see them coming back with Edmondson and Savard and uh, Mike Matheson next year. I don't see them come back with three veterans. So like I'm sure they'd love to move Edmondson. I don't think they're going to move Savard. And they're not going to move Mike Matheson, but David Savard has been really good with the young guys. Really, the, you need the he he allows the young skating defense and like a Caden Gooley the freedom to go up and down the ice because he's always back there, right? He's always yeah. taking care taking care of things. But as I said, I'm 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 almost positive they'll move Joel Edmondson during the off season if he remains healthy through the rest of the season, which so far he's played a string of games without his back going out. What they're going to get for him? Is another question, you know, are they going to get a first or second round pick with a wonky back on a guy like that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, they got to start opening up spots for some of these younger guys uh, to be able to play and, and get the ice time they need. And Jack, I, yeah, I mean, there's a guy who just came in and, and earned his spot. And this other thing Marty St. Louis has done is he has let guys earn spots. You know, Raphael Harvey Pennard, is, as St. Louis said, I didn't give him anything. He's earned all these. I didn't give it to him. He worked his butt off, and he deserved to get all these opportunities. Jack guy worked his butt off. I mean, in training camp, they wanted Justin Barron to make this team. I mean, they they give him every opportunity at training camp to make the team. He was, you know, they give up Lekin, and this was the key guy coming back in the Arturi Lekin and trade. He wanted to play for former first round pick, but Jack guy was just better than him. So Jack guy started the season with the Canadians, and Justin Barron went down to Laval, and it was the right decision. And it sends a message too when you do stuff like that that. To the Raphael Harvey Penards, uh, the Jack guys, the, the guys who were late round picks are not never drafted like Jack guy. If you if you come to Canadian's training camp next season and you work hard and you play really well, they will keep you. Like they will give you a chance o- over a first round pick. It doesn't really matter. It's it's it, whoever deserves a spot is going to get a spot. And we've seen it also with some of the healthy scratches that John that. Uh, uh, Marty St. Louis has made during the season. He hasn't been afraid to make Jonathan Drew a healthy scratch or Yoel Army or some of the veterans let some of the younger guys play. And I think that goes well through the locker room. It makes the older guys realize you better skate. You can't take nights off because there's young guys coming up looking to take your job. And there's a lot of young guys right now in the Canadians coming up to take their job. But you're right, they don't. They're missing, and Molson spoke about this too, they're missing, you know, to win the Stanley Cup is good. Everything's got to go perfect. You have a hot goalie. You never win a Stanley yeah, Cup. Yeah, of course. Know. You have to have three or four really solid defenseman and you have to have like five really productive forwards you know productive offense you have to have two lines that can produce offense and nick suzuki is leading the canes in scoring but i haven't looked unless he's like 80 70th or 80th in that range in the nhl cole coffee cole coffee has missed 30 games and he still leads the canadians in goals so they need they need some more high-end talent they're hoping kirby doc can develop into that um, Slavkovsky, maybe Phil Massar. We'll see who they're going to get this year in the draft, but it's going to take time. They need it. They need you need to get a couple of guys that are up, you know, top twenty type scores in the NHL. The Kings haven't had a top ten score in the NHL since Matt Aslan back in 86, 85, 86, which is remarkable. So they need to get some more high end talent. They might already have some. I mean, Cole Caulfield, you know, how many? Maybe would have scored forty goals or maybe even fifty this season if he stayed healthy. But they need to get more high end talent. Uh, and maybe they already have some of that in the system. It's going to take a while to develop. Uh, but at a point, they'll, they'll reach a point where they're, they're ready to go get free agents. Maybe that's how they get them. And if you're an offensive-minded player, you probably want to play for Marty St. Louis. But the freedom yeah, I mean, it's, it's and, been, and guys around the league see what's happened with Kirby Doc, and they see what's happened with Gurianov since he came here. He's slowed down a bit now, but just guys who 
you come here with the system he plays. Um, you know, Michael Pozzetta had a good chat with him, and he was saying, you know, every time you know, last season when he would get called up uh, when Ducharme was coaching, it was like all they wanted him to do get the puck over the red line, dump it in, and go chase it. That, that's that's yeah. that's what that's what the system was for him. Chip it in and go chase it. And then Marty Sanders said, no, if you have a chance to hang on to the puck, hang on to the puck and skate with it. And Pizzetta said he feels like he's back when he was a kid. Any every player in the NHL was a really good hockey player when they were a kid. They had yeah. offensive ability, every single one of them. And uh, Pizzetta says, I feel like almost like it's back being a kid again. Like I have some freedom to try and do stuff with the puck and try and make some plays. And we've seen how he's, you know, Michael Pizzetta is never going to be a top six forward in the NHL, but he's going to be a, a fourth line guy who, if he gets a chance, can can bang one in. And isn't afraid to, you know, it's not just chip and chase all the time or dump it in and go get it. There, There's options or they're allowed to make plays. Well, that's it, you know, and especially the, that's a, the case is with Michael Pizzetta, you know, because like, where do you go from there? Because this team clearly values hard work and, and it's mm-hmm. great to see, you know, like, like you said, it doesn't matter if you're a first round pick or a, or, or a late round, you are valued the same way you or you deserve an opportunity, you're going to get the mm-hmm. opportunity. So, you know, I, I mean, I guess hopefully it comes to a point where, you know, players that aren't exactly offensive, offensively gifted as others, you know, that the hard work kind of, it, it's a hard thing to balance. Cause like, at what point does the hard work not really matter all that much because, you know, of, the talent that's injected into your roster because you're mm-hmm. better served with, with one player versus another. So it's, it's interesting that in the case of Pizzetta, because we know that he's not true. Like you said, he's not traditionally an offensive player, but yeah. you know, like exactly it. It's just every one of these guys, when they were in Wee or Bantam, they were scoring 30 goals in 20 games. That's what they were doing. No, and that's why, they, and that's why they're in the NHL. Big George Larac was an offensive star. Like scored a lot of goals when you're playing midget hockey. It's, it's just that you have to have skill. You have to have skill to get to it. I was talking with a former NHL player recently. He was telling me that what a lot of guys that you're talking with Pizzetta and the fourth line guys, and so you'd see guys that come up and they're not used to being a fourth line player, right? Because every, nearly every guy in the NHL was a first line player coming up, right? They were in a fourth line yeah. player. They became a fourth line player. Um, you know, Tori Mitchell, an example. I've known Tori since he was a little kid. You know, he was a superstar player as a kid. He was a big star at University of Vermont. Comes to the NHL, he had a, like a 10-year career as a fourth line center. He was, you know, yeah. he's a first line player his whole way up. So there's so many guys like that. And the former NHL players talked to you said, he says, sometimes it's hard for guys like that to realize that just because you didn't get a point in the game doesn't mean you didn't have a really good game. And he said, it's like, if you have a shift, if you're a fourth line, you have a shift, you get off the ace and the other team didn't score, that's a good shift. If you have nine shifts like that in a game, you had a good game. You're not, your fourth liners aren't there. They're not the guys paid money to put the puck in that. But when you have a guy in the fourth line, when he gets an opportunity, he can. So if you have a fourth liner who finishes a game plus one, that's, he's, had, he's had a good game. Like that's, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good game. And he said, it's hard sometimes for guys who their whole life have been number one line players to a accept your fourth line player and b uh you know learn what that role is and michelle terry one of the lines he had that i used to like he says you know there's there's different chairs on a team and you have to find which chair that you fit into whether you know the rocking chair or lounger whatever the chairs you have, but you got to find a chair that you fit into and, and if you can find a way uh mentioned tory mitchell he played like a 10-year career in the nhl by being a fast guy you could play on the fourth line win faceoffs, and kill penalties Made a lot of money doing it. 
Yeah, and that's it. And you know, it uh, that that saying that uh, Michel Therrien reminds me of a saying that my brother-in-law always says. Uh, he always tells me this because I always laugh whenever whenever he says it. That it's it makes a lot more. It sounds a lot better in Hebrew than it does uh, than it does in English. Which is, you can't sit with one ass on two chairs. And, and yeah. you know, it yeah. it goes to it yeah. goes to the same as, yeah. as playing yeah. in the NHL. You know, like it's you true. gotta you gotta stay in your lane, but. Well that doesn't mean you can't take your opportunities and you yeah, can't, we're, we're, you know, like you said, you can't put the, like you're, you're, you were once able to put the puck in the net. You did not lose that ability. Yeah. Larber Jack, I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, he's not going to be a top pairing defenseman in the NHL, but he fills a role. You know, he's a big guy. He's physical. He's hard to play against. He'll fight. If, you know, there's not as much fighting in the NHL now, but he'll fight. And like, you can even like when he was on the power play, he's really good at getting a shot through from the point. He's really good at finding lanes and getting yeah. the puck through. He has, he has abilities. So, and, and again, I, I think a lot of people don't realize just how good every single player in the NHL is. Even the fourth liner was the, the worst guy in an NHL team. 90% of the time was the best player on his team coming up as a kid. It's it's yeah. it's just the classic. Just put them out yeah. on the ice on a beer league yeah. game on your Tuesday night league. No, yeah. And watch yeah. them and watch them turn you inside out and make you look absolutely silly. Well, during one of the lockouts, I played old timers hockey at LCC, and uh, Gord, a lot of guys grew up with Gord Donnelly. And Gord Donnelly played a long time in the NHL. He's a scout now, and he was like a fourth line guy. And he came out. And this is yeah. back when we were younger. I was maybe. <clears throat> late 20s i'm gonna say maybe early 30s and he came out with us and I'm like oh my god he was so good yeah and some of the guys were shocked like oh my god i can't believe he's so good so he plays in the nhl he's a professional yeah, exactly. hockey player. he's good yeah yeah well that's that's the thing you know like even i remember going to see some of my uh some of my friends beer league games and they would have a sub uh, the other team would have a sub and you know that person happened to play in the queue like yeah. far and away the best huh. player on the ice yeah. and it's like not even close and the guy yeah. the guy couldn't crack the nhl you know yeah. all of us saying ah oh, he sucks well yeah. he just made all of you look very very silly exactly, um, exactly. anyways the, the the sick podcast is brought to you by a uh, playground major poker festivals are back at playground the march million features 10 ring events and one million dollars in guaranteed prize pools including a four hundred thousand dollar guaranteed main event Play in Playgrounds March Million Poker Series from March 23rd to April 2nd. Visit playground.ca for details. Also, the sick podcast with Tony Marinero's Tascam equipment is supplied by Ericsson Audio, the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals such as myself. Um, let, let's talk about it. I, I mean, this kind of was squashed in... I feel like it was squashed in a matter of hours, but it, it popped up on Twitter and, you know, things on Twitter are sometimes fun. Why not talk about it? Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but, you know, Tony and uh, George Lerac spoke briefly about this last night. Uh, Jeff Gordon, apparently he's getting bored with his job <laughs> and, you know, not even a, almost not a year and a bit into it. Um that was squashed pretty quickly, I think, right? I mean, well, uh, no. I think it was Nick Kiprios. I, I heard something about it. I didn't, I think it was Nick Kiprios, maybe reported, was what I heard. Yeah. Originally. Um, I mean, I don't know what his source he would have. I mean, I haven't heard anything about it. I mean, is it possible? I guess. I mean, Gordon's used to being this is a new, you know, executive vice president of hockey operations with the GM under him. Um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard personally. I haven't heard anything about it. I mean, I just spoke with Jeff Molson yesterday. <clears throat> he talked about how well, <coughs> excuse me, how well all three of them work. But 
know, maybe he's, uh, uh, well, it's hard to even speculate. Like, I have no idea. Like, I, I, yeah, exactly. If it's, if it's, I haven't heard anything about it. So, but, um, no, I guess we'll see moving forward what happens. Perfect. That's actually the precise amount of time I would like. To, I would have liked to spend <laughs> yeah. on that topic. Um, all right. Uh, this one was interesting that came across today. Uh, Raphael Harvey Pinard signed with a with an agency. Um, I believe it was Cortex. It's uh, Kent. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's uh, Kent Hughes's old agency. <laughs> well, there you go. So um, that's probably meaning he wants to enter into negotiations with the Canadians because I mean, th- this is something I've been, uh, another thing I've been talking about, you know, like players like Raphael Harvey Pinard are, you know, for the most part, just they're, they're pretty for the lack of a better term, you know, he's a great player, but at the end of the day, you're not going to, your team's not going to go under without Raphael Harvey Pinard. I mean, the Canadians might because they have no players, but that's another story. But if you're a full roster, so, you know, you see a guy like that and he's, he's valuable to the Canadians right now. But my question is, is like, what's the vision for Raphael Harvey Pinard? You know, what contract wise? Well, right now he's playing on a two-way contract. And I looked mm. it up the other day. I believe it's eight hundred and twenty-five thousand in the NHL, and it's either seventy or eighty thousand in the AHL. It's one of the two. I can't remember. I think, I think it's eighty, but it's either eighty or seventy. Yeah. He's not going to be making eighty or seventy thousand dollars next year. I mm. think he's done enough to warrant a one-way. Like he's shocked. He's a restricted free agent, or can become a restricted free agent. I can't see why the Canes wouldn't want to keep him. Yeah, I mean the way he's scoring goals, and it's not just the way he scores goals. He's you know, he's willing to go to the dirty areas. Uh, he, he's, you know, I was talking with Belzil the other day, and Belzil played with him in Laval, and he said in Laval, everybody wanted him, wanted to play on his line. And now in the Canadians, guys want to play on his line. Maybe, you know, Nick Suzuki, as mentioned, him playing with Nick Suzuki. He just does all the little things right. He's a younger version of Brendan Gallagher. He really is. I mean, mm-hmm. Laval, his nickname was Lavalager. He's very similar style. I think he's got a little bit more better hands than Gallagher. Um, he can score from a little bit further away from the net. Uh, but, He's also French Canadian. I mean, there's there's obviously there's an added value in this franchise. They like to have local guys around. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, is he going to break the bank? No, <clears throat> but if I was um, you know representing Raphael Harvey Pinard, I'd be looking for a one way contract, and I'd be looking for a term because you never know how long he's going to be able to do this. He's not a big guy. You'd, you'd be looking for. I think you'd be probably looking for like a three year contract. Um, in the you know, I'm saying 1.2 million area, maybe somewhere around that. But as again, here's a kid who was making seventy thousand dollars in Laval. Here's a kid during COVID who was delivering pizzas for his father's pizza restaurant. Um, this is his opportunity to not become super rich, but become a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, be pretty pretty darn comfortable. Yeah, yeah. be um, able to make money that will be comfortable and. Uh, uh, sort of take a deep breath and say, "Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got some serious money coming in here now." But I mean, at this point, I can't see why the Kings wouldn't want to keep him. I mean, he, it's once you get to thirty games, it's not so much a flash in the pan anymore. And he's, yeah. he's yeah. you know, he can score goals different ways. And I say he's the younger version of, of Brendan Gallagher. So, um, yeah, I'd be surprised the Kings don't uh, don't resign him and keep him here. I can't see why they would want to lose him. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I agree with the dollar figure. You know, I and you know, like I'm gonna get probably demolished in the comment section for saying this. Um and I, I but I'm gonna say it because it's just the, the connection that I make is like the like you said, his nickname in Laval was Lavaliger. 
Mm-hmm. Brendan Gallagher was, you know, beloved by fans before all the injuries took place. You know, he's potting mm-hmm. 30 goals a year. He did. I mean, he only did it twice in his career, but he's <laughs> always in the mid to high 20s. And I don't know. I always equated him as the poor man's Brad Marchand because he's a thorn in the side. But he can yeah. put the puck in the net, and he's a skilled guy. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe a Rafael Harvey Pinard, like you said, he's he's got better hands than Gallagher. He could. I'm not going to say he's going to become Brad Marchand, be a hundred point scorer. Yeah, but he could be. Uh, you know, you know, on the low, on the high end. You know, if you're getting a 50 point guy out of him, 40, even 45, 40 out of him on a, on a full season. That's a pretty darn good deal for uh, three years at that price. Well, he's also a guy who can move up and down the lineup. As I mentioned before, guys want to yeah. play. The guys want to play with him. You can put him on first, second, third, fourth line. You can put him on power play. You've seen him out killing penalties. Um, he can do a lot of different things. He's a valuable type of player, and uh, he's shown the ability to score goals and uh, over an extended period in the NHL, not just the uh, not just the fluke. At this point, it's not just the fluke. I mean, he's on pace. I, I did the math. He's on pace for a 36-goal season if you did it over 82 games. Yeah. The shooting percentage is way up there. It's not a sustainable shooting percentage. But, I mean, can he score 20 goals in the NHL? It certainly looks like he could. He's got about 40. Well, he's tied for fourth on the Canadians in goals, and he's only played like 30 games. So it just that goes back to what I was saying before, how they need some more offensive, right. high-end offensive talent. But if you have like a... Uh, Harvey Pennard is a third line guy going forward who can, you know, pot you 15 to 20 goals. That's there's, there's value in that. As we were talking before so, with those chairs, is you find the chair that you fit in, and he fits he fits in more than one chair. Like I said, he's, he's a yeah, valuable player. Yeah, he does. He can down the lineup, he can kill penalties, he play power play, so that that adds value. Yeah, he could sit on he could sit on many chairs with his uh, yes. with his behind for sure. Um, as my and the, and the Canadians from, from the management standpoint, they might be able to. to cash in on their end a little bit here because I'm it's a kid I'm sure likes playing in Montreal and would love you know, yeah. stay yeah. local, local kid uh, looking for a one-way contract I'm sure um, so you're talking about you know we're talking about you know Carolina banking on Kotkaniemi with that deal that he's going to improve and become a bargain moving forward they're not going to give him Kotkaniemi money obviously with yeah, of course. but if they can sign him to a three-year deal uh, and then he does become Gallagher and a 30 goal scorer <clears throat> a couple of years from now, he'd be a huge bargain like Brendan Gallagher was when he was scoring 30 goals. He was a bargain. Um, mm. That's the, that's what led to the contract as now, which is, is not a bargain now. But uh, as I've said before, you know, Brendan Gallagher's earned every single dollar he's ever got from the Canadians because his effort level is there all the time. So last one for you before we, uh, before we get you out of here, uh, this one I found very interesting. It happened today. Uh, and the reason why I found it interesting is, you know, it connects to the opening of the show of uh, Dollar Desarmos and Devin Levi. Uh, the Canadians signed a goaltender to an entry-level contract today, Jakob Dobes out of uh, Ohio State. Uh, I, che- I checked him out. Listen, I, I haven't seen much footage on him. Uh, but, you know, I saw the stats. Stats look good similar to what Devin Levi had at Northeastern. Um, the interesting part of why it connects to Dollar Desarmos is because there's another goaltender out there in the university hockey world, up for a Hobie Baker uh, nominee, I should say. Uh, you know, Yaniv Perez, born in Dollar Desarmos. Uh, I don't know. It seemed kind of like a match made in heaven. Were you, I mean, were you surprised? Have you heard anything of, of, of about this, like on this subject of entry-level contract goaltenders or... Or anything no, like really. 
I'm wondering what's in the water in the West Island with all these goalies coming out of there. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, the thing is, it, the Canadians' goaltending situation as they move forward in this rebuild is going to be cut. They, they got to answer for like who's going to be the goalie of the future. Right. Uh, it's not going to be Jake Allen because he's going to be gone by the time they get to the point uh, where they, they hope to be competing, like as you mentioned earlier, every year for the playoffs and being a competitive team. Could it be Samuel Montebo? Maybe. You know the way he's played this year is possible. Uh, Caden Primo, you know, it was that was a weird situation where they called him up to play that one game and then sent them back down. But next season at training camp, if the Canadians want to send Caden Primo down to Laval, he's got to clear waivers. So there's a chance they lose him yeah. for nothing. So were they putting him in a game because maybe there's another team that is interested in maybe acquiring him and wanted to see him play an NHL game, or it's sort of hard to, to factor in what was going on there. Uh, but goaltending situation, that was Caden Primo, the goalie of the future. He was given that sort of tag for a while. Yeah, when he signed. You got to wonder. He hasn't, you know, if that's still the case. So I think the Kings are at a point right now where they can't have too many goalies type of thing. Like, let's get as right. young prospects and see what we can do, and maybe we can get lucky. They're not going to pay $10.5 million again for a goalie like they do a carrier price. That just makes no sense in today's salary cap world. Um, so just, I guess they're just, they're just trying to see goalies are weird. I mean, you know, there's guys, that, <laughs> they're, they're great for a season and they disappear and <clears> they're <throat> Jim, excuse me, Jim Carrey. I remember Steve Penny back with the Canes when he was amazing in the playoffs and then he doesn't. So the more they're, I, I'm guessing that the Canes that they're figuring sign some of these young prospect goalies and we'll see what we got. They could lose Caden Primo either. If they put him on waivers next season and none of the team claims it, maybe nobody will claim him. They just put him back to Laval. But they got to be prepared that if they lose Primo or they trade him or they lose him on waivers, they got to have some other options. Uh, not just for the Canes, they got to have somebody to play goal in Laval also. Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, I mean, the lineup is out, uh, I think. So do we have a starter for tomorrow? I'm not sure. I didn't. Uh, Herb, Herb I covered practice today because I was writing the Molson stuff, so I, I don't know if Marty and Asu's goal is going to be Right. Tomorrow. So, uh, I mean, I, at the very least, we will find out, at least if we don't know now, we will find out before the game tomorrow right. against Carolina. Uh, Stu, uh, I hope you enjoy that game, and I hope you enjoy the beginning, middle, and end of your weekend. Thank Thanks, you very much bro. for joining. Have a great weekend. Thanks. That was Stu Cowan. I am Matt O'Han. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there and we would appreciate the support. I'm getting noticed in the mile end by by random people that I never would have dreamed of being noticed by on the street. That's how large the sick army is. And that's how great all of you guys are. All right. That's it for me. Tony's back on Monday. I'll catch you next Friday. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature.